Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC. This is your favourite football podcast, back for another week. My name is Jack Collins, and I will be your host today. And joining me, as ever, is the Rank God, Mr Sam Tai. Hello, my friend. Hello, mate. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. It's not a nice shirt bad. you're wearing. Thank you. It's uh, Atletico Mineiro's one with the uh, with the map on it. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited. It arrived a couple of days ago, and... Yeah, it, it is as beautiful as it was, uh, as it, it seemed to be when it got released. So yeah, I'm uh, happy with the latest addition to the wardrobe. So yeah, how uh, big is this wardrobe uh, nowadays? It's quite big. Yeah, it is a hundred plus shirts, Ooh. but we're um, we're getting there. It's also in coloured order, so it's nice that you know if you know if you need to pick one out to play five a side with a random team, mm. you can uh, you can always have you always have. Well, I always have someone a shirt of the right colour, so that's uh, you know it's a nice addition. Yeah. Um, Dean, obviously, as you can tell, is still in America, is still away, uh, leaving us a man short. But we are bringing in a very special guest, a an old friend of the podcast, uh, returned to basically do a version two of what he did last year. Mr. Ali Maxwell is coming back to talk about some of the players in the championship and beyond in the EFL who are ready for a step up and who might be household names in the Premier League or beyond um, in a couple of years' time. So we're super excited to have Ali back on the show. But before we do that, it's time for things we love. And Sam, you're going to start us off. Yes, what I loved uh, this weekend and picking just one thing from this weekend of football was, was pretty tough because what, what a weekend of football it was and particularly what an incredible Sunday of football it was. But uh, actually, my thing comes from the Saturday. It comes from uh, from Atletico Madrid's win over Barcelona and it was João Félix's performance in particular that I really, really enjoyed. Now, I'll start off with a couple of really obvious caveats in that uh, you know, Barcelona's defending was more of a vanishing act than anything else. But Felix's performance was pretty sensational all the same. And I really hope that this can be something of a statement performance from him as well. Now, he played as a support striker um, and he played between the lines, but he kept pulling off to the left flank to receive and turn and go. And it was that electricity to his movements that... I think we haven't seen enough over the course of 2021. It's been a bit of a stop-start year for Zhao and he needs a platform. He needs a performance, like a statement performance to really get himself going into gear. Particularly now, there's so much competition in his specific position group at Atletico Madrid. You've got so many players trying to get into this team and they only play with two forwards, really, in this kind of 3-5-2 formation. And they've brought in Griezmann and, and Mateus Cunha. Angel Correa started the season on fire. Luis Suarez is an absolute dog in front of goal. And Felix is there. Lamar settled into a, a deeper role, which is good. That can sort of declutters the space a little bit. But there's still five or six players here vying for two spots. And Felix is, you know, potentially the most prodigious and, and, and naturally talented of all of these players. And yes. if he plays like he did against Barcelona then there's no reason why he can't stamp his authority over this role. And look, as I said, he sort of pulled out to the left side to receive in space. And 
that caused a lot of problems for Barcelona in terms of their their positional marking and who should pick him up. So at a certain point, quite early in the first half, uh, Ronald Araujo basically decided that he would try and stick to him and play play almost like a man marking role, and that didn't really work out either. And, and bear in mind as well, just some context. Araujo hadn't been dribbled past for like a year or something ridiculous. He was one of the, he was the owner of one of those ridiculous Virgil Van Dijk statistics where like he hasn't been dribbled past for ages. It's really hard to get the better of Araujo because of his combination of, of size and speed and recovery ability. Felix left him for dead like three, four times, and Araujo was so far out of space it created this chasm in which PK was trying to to defend all on his own, it was like a forty yard box, and they got absolutely ruined. And that doesn't happen without exceptional movement from Felix. And an exceptional first touch out into space and then quick thinking, quick going and good incisive passing. Now, he didn't get a goal or an assist on the night. So he wasn't the headline act. Thomas Lamar, Antoine Griezmann came on against his former club. Luis Suarez scored against that, the 33rd La Liga opponent of his career. But it was Felix, really, that, that wowed me. And he kind of flew a little bit under the radar, probably in comparison to the other guys that ended up with records or on the stat sheet. Yeah, absolutely. It was joyful, wasn't it? And it's nice to see Jao Felix in that mood because we haven't seen too much of him being joyful under Simeone. You get flashes, as you say, um, but it has mostly been, you know, a little bit stop-start, a little bit, you know, oh, is he going to play as a left wing back this week? Hopefully not. <laughs> uh, and, and, and we haven't seen, I think, his true worth all that much, but we we definitely saw it on Saturday. It was, it was It was a glorious performance in many ways. And hopefully it's the start of a spark that lets this year be a, a very special year for Jao Felix because we know he has that inside him and just be given that opportunity. We hope he doesn't get dropped. He's been dropped before after moments like this where you go, wow, he's had an amazing game. The next game, he's not in the team. He's on the bench and he doesn't come on. And you're so like, he does do go, that, doesn't can, you, can you maybe not do that, please? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think as a whole, it was, it, it was remarkable. I'm going to move on. And actually, my thing I love is based on what you said at the start there, there wasn't one thing I could pick. So basically what I've gone for is I love the amount of shock results that we had in this weekend's football. Let me read you off a couple of them. Real Madrid lost 2-1 to Espanyol. Bayern Munich lost 2-1 to Frankfurt. PSG lost 2-0 to Rennes. Benfica lost their first game of the season to Porto Menenge. Ajax lost 1-0 to Utrecht. Lazio got battered 3-0 by Bologna. Sevilla lost 1-0 to Granada. Wolfsburg, who only lost their first game last week, lost 3-1 to Gladbach. Uh, and West Ham lost 2-1 to Brentford. It was a weekend for coupon busters, as they call them, mm. uh, in, in the UK. And I think that... Ultimately, we saw a really kind of strange weekend of football. I think we're getting towards an international break and obviously we're now into that international break and you would kind of expect everyone to, to finish strong and then have the time off and, and go again. And instead, what we saw was a lot of results. You're going, what's happened there then? Mm. And then I think it made for a really, really exciting weekend. Like you say, Sam, Sunday and lots of those, I think five or six of those nine results happened on Sunday. And it really was a, from the moment Lazio Bologna kicked off and, and Musa Barra curled one into the top corner and you're going, okay, Lazio don't have a mobile here. This could get very bad. And Teat scores straight afterwards. It's 2-0 Bologna and going, okay, right. We're on for a shot here. Off we go. And it keeps going. PSG kicks off half an hour into that and you're watching it all unfold. And 
some of the results we saw were just phenomenal. And, you know, Real Madrid losing 2 ones Espanyol and Raul de Tomas scoring against the club that he basically came through. The academy came through the young player, uh, the, the younger teams, the, the C team, the B team, into the first team. And then giving an interview afterwards, he was like, Real Madrid is my past. Espanyol is my everything now. And you're like, oh, God, <laughs> that's a really, really intense moment for everybody involved. Um, like you say, Benfica were perfect pretty much up to this point. And they, they lost to Porto Menendez. Interestingly, George Jesus said before the game that he thought that Porto Menendez's defence was going to be better than Barcelona's, so it proved. Oh my God. I thought that was that was intriguing. Um, Ajax lost. They've been on some run of form. Um, and you just go on. It goes on and on and on. And, and, and across the course of it, it just felt like one of those weekends for the ages in terms of the upsets just kept ringing through. And fair play to everyone because, you know, it was a, a really, really enjoyable couple of days of football. But as you say, Sunday in particular. Um, and just a reminder that this mad, wonderful, crazy, stupid game we love um, is as unpredictable as it has ever been. Despite, you know, the fact that the big teams seem to get better and better and better every week, there are always these rooms shocks and it's what we love so much so yeah that was my thing we loved this weekend I was going to also talk about that Atleti Barcelona game and just talk about Luis Suarez doing the phone call celebration <laughs> to mock Ronald Koeman <laughs> basically letting him go over the phone but I thought we'd, we, we didn't want to double down too hard on one game so uh, there we have it right after the break we are going to be bringing Ali in to talk about some EFL players ready for the next step don't go anywhere <laughs> Welcome back to Ranks FC, where we are delighted to be joined by an old friend. And welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Ali Maxwell, who was on last year. Now you'll know Ali from various things, not the top 20, where he uh, made his name, I would say, but also EFL Pundit, Sky Football Quest, and now host of the Athletics Football Tactics Pod, which has become a regular part of my rotation. It's been a, a good old year for you, Ali. Thank you. I'll, I'll let you be the judge of that. I have mostly enjoyed it and I am very much enjoying the, the new season. Uh, fans in grounds has been a, a bigger thing than I think we probably all realised. I feel like we were so traumatised by last season that we didn't really want to talk about it as it happened because while the football was pretty poor, and I'm talking about the EFL, but I think that translates to Premier League stuff and across Europe as well, while it was poor without fans, uh, we needed it, didn't we? We all kind of needed it. So I have um, hugely grateful, certainly to some of the EFL sides that were struggling with cash flow for uh, continuing uh, while we really needed them last season. Uh, this answer has already gone well away from what you asked. It's been a good year. Thanks, Jack. I'm having a great time talking about football on a number of different podcasts and making my annual Ranks Pod appearance is right up there. Oh, we could delight to have you back, Ali. And I mean, I suppose, Sam, it's probably important to to kind of look back at what we looked at last year. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Ali, one of our very first guests under our new guys when we when we became Ranks FC. Mm. Um, so to have you back after a, a year is, is is very special. It's an international break. It feels like a, a good time to be picking out a new crop. We're going to be looking at some of the players in the EFL who are ready for a step up, not necessarily all immediately to the Premier League, but who mm. might well be looking at... at Premier League names, if not next year, then maybe the year after. And Sam, last year's crop have, have done all right, haven't they? Yeah, we asked Ali to do the same thing last year. Uh, and he came out with uh, Josh De Silva and Rico Henry, who are now Premier League players at, at Brentford. Josh De Silva, unfortunately, injured. But Rico Henry has been really strong, actually, to start the season. 
Reading's Michael Olise is now Crystal Palace's Michael Olise, uh, also now Premier League goalscorer Michael Olise. Good mm. timing on that one. Uh, Swansea's Ben Cabango is ticking along okay, and uh, Ali unfortunately cursed Tyrese Campbell from Stoke City about three days after he came on and talked about him he like broke his ankle or something and we haven't seen him since so um let's ease up on the curses Ali with our next five but I am excited to hear who you've got to speak about today yeah hoping for no injuries um but I think I've got a nice mix for you here the the five players that I've chosen I know that for for, for clicks and probably for excitement, the most exciting thing would be to say all five of these guys are going to be Premier League stars in the mould of a Watkins, a Buendia, a Rico Henry, perhaps, of the future. Uh, and I do believe that all of them could and most of them will play in the Premier League, but I'm not necessarily um, putting myself out there and saying it will definitely happen. And I think between or amongst the five, we've got some that I'd be more confident of than others. But the other players that I've chosen, I think, have very high ceilings, could be anything. So let's start working through the list and, and you guys, the listeners, can decide which ones you are sold on and which ones you think I'm talking rubbish about. Absolutely. Well, we'll go in at number five then, Ali, and we'll go from there. Okay, so in no particular order, I think we should start with the uh, Chilean superstar Ben Brereton Diaz, <laughs> who plays for Blackburn Rovers. Now, you guys will have to tell me, because although I am a fully paid up patron of the Rank Squad, uh, I don't know to what extent you guys covered the Brereton Diaz Chile Copper America story over the summer. So how much info and background do you need here? We covered the copper um, on on the Patreon, but not so much on the main feed. So it might be worth giving the background um, with the Euros going on at the same time. Obviously, everything was a little bit on top of us. We did some Patreon stuff on, on the copper. So it might be worth just giving the, the background on... Well, what was probably the most <laughs> mad story of this summer, I think. Definitely. One of my favourite stories to have covered over the last five years because Ben Brereton, as he was, uh, a Nottingham Forest youth player, born and bred in Stoke-upon-Trent, uh, moves to Blackburn for a pretty hefty fee a couple of years ago now. Blackburn really sort of stuck their neck out to sign him uh, from Forest, And for his first two seasons at Blackburn, he only started 11 league games across the two. And don't get me wrong, he was, he was very, very young. It's four and a half years since he scored a very famous first league goal against Aston Villa live on Sky as a 17-year-old. He's now 22 and he looks about 30. It feels like he's been around for a while. <laughs> the reason he's now called Ben Brereton Diaz, and I'm not kidding when I tell you this story, is that he gave an interview to the Blackburn Rovers match day programme, a sort of classic Q&A. We've seen them a thousand times before. And the fact that you might not know about me was my mother is Chilean, born and bred, fully Chilean. So I'm actually eligible for Chile. So obviously, the guy who does the database for football manager covering Blackburn Rovers reads the programme and he notes this down and he adds it to the football manager database. Second nationality, Chile for Ben Brereton. And a couple of months later, I think this is probably November of last year, about a year ago, some Chilean FM streamers on Twitch were managing Chile, trying to win the copper, whatever it was. And they were looking, as you always do on Footy Man, and you're managing a national side, for those who you might not realise have a second nationality. And up pops Britain, uh, the, the championship stalwart. Uh, so they make a bit of a noise about it, as you would as content creators. This is exciting. They realise that it's true. Uh, and then there's a bit of a clamour. Uh, it sort of really catches fire in Chile. There's actually, I think, and you guys will probably know more about the Chilean national team than I do. I think in the current crop of players, sort of the post-Sanchez generation, they're kind of looking for a goal scorer. So they were quite excited yeah. about the potential for Brereton Diaz. 
He got called up at the end of the season to go to the Copper. 10-minute cameo in the first game against uh, Argentina. He nutmegged a centre-back. I can't remember who it was. He started the next game against Bolivia, scored the winning goal, and Brereton Diaz mania started. He added the Diaz onto his name, uh, and he now goes by that. Nice nod to his mother. Nice nod to his now 1 million Instagram followers, the large majority of which are Chilean. And he's come back, and I kid you not, he looks like... I don't want to say a different player because he's always looked like a talented attacking player, but he looks like a man and he came back full of confidence. He's now currently the top scorer in the championship. He's already hit double figures and we're only 11 games in. And he's basically filled the void that Adam Armstrong left. And how? I mean, he's really been given the keys to the attack. Armstrong having been everything for Rovers last season, taking four shots a game, um, sometimes not always for the best, it felt. Uh, he had a bit of a selfish streak. He was given a license to shoot and score as much as possible. And he did that. Armstrong scored the most non-penalty goals in the league last season. And in his absence, I think Rovers fans were a bit worried uh, as to where the goals were coming from. Uh, and here it is. He was already there. The answer was already within the club. They just didn't realise that he needed to be Chilean to unlock himself. So <laughs> that's kind of the, the context behind Brierton Diaz. The reason I want to talk about him is I just really like him as an all-round player. Uh, he plays off the left quite often in a 4-3-3, but he's a really direct goal-scoring wide player. Um, even when he plays as a number nine, which he can do, you'll find him drifting out wide to find space. I don't think he's naturally someone that wants to barge into centre-backs and play with his back to goal. He is quite a big guy. He's, he's bigger than most full-backs. So when he does play out on the left side, he does win those physical battles most times. On the weekend, he scored a back post header, thumping header, getting above his man. Uh, and he's got the highest XG per 90 in the championship at the moment. Um, he's had some great chances created for him. Don't get me wrong. He's already had two open goals, smash one in from about four yards. He's had two penalties as well. So that all helps. And I wouldn't be surprised if the goal scoring drops off a little bit. But what we're looking at is a player that I sort of describe as a Swiss army knife attacker. I really think he can play anywhere across a front three. He's not the most aesthetic in terms of being an amazing dribbler, but his ball carrying stats, if you look at the Opta analyst site, come up really well. What he is, is a very effective ball carrier, very direct, short, sharp bursts. He can create space um, for himself to shoot. And he's pretty unselfish as well. Very smart player whose uh, who's creative numbers with Armstrong next to him last season really stood out. So uh, a real all-rounder to start with. Uh, an, am an amazing story as well in Brereton Diaz. Or Brereton yes. Diaz. No one's quite worked out whether it's Brereton or Brereton. It's a huge issue. It's a it's a problem. There are, um, There's some funny things. I mean, the fact that he became the face of Pepsi mm -hmm. uh, in Chile <laughs> is my favorite element of that story. I would correct you on one thing, Ali. He's the joint top scorer in the championship. Sure. I'm just sorry. Like, I don't, just, honestly, to, just to make sure. I don't count um, Mitro anymore. It's not fair. He will be the top scorer in the league, Mitro, like he is every other year. It's boring. We want new goal scorers. Yeah. It's, a, it's a fair point. A fair point. But I mean, Brereton Diaz, Sam, the story, I think, is one thing. But the fact that he's, he's stepping out, and, and I think that's what it makes this interesting, sure. But the fact that Ali's just mentioned, he's big, he's six foot, right? And, and mm. to play wide and, and be that kind of dominating presence coming in off that wing... It's relatively rare. I'm so, was surprised, actually, Ali. So I haven't seen that much of, of, of Brereton Diaz, so I'm leaning on you here. But I was surprised mm. to hear you say he's not the kind of player who wants to back himself in and, and play back mm. to goal because I've seen how big he is. And it's surprising yeah. that uh, a man of that build isn't really that interested in playing that way, I guess. Mm. Yeah, and, and part of the thing 
part of the reason why I like him is is that he doesn't necessarily fit stereotypes. You know, we're used to last season we had players like Buendia and Dan Juma who I was completely besotted with and I see is now tearing it up in the Champions League and and La Liga and you've got someone like Brereton Diaz who I I keep making the point that aesthetically he's not the best player to watch and I almost feel like I'm slagging him off there and I don't really mean to it's just he doesn't have the necessarily the optics of one of those really good goal-scoring, ball-carrying wide players that we all know and love across world football. But I almost think that's part of his charm. And I think it probably leads to him being underrated and perhaps under-covered by opposition teams. Probably not now that his goal-scoring exploits are are, are quite uh, the extent that they are this season. But it just means that you've got a guy who links really well with whoever the nine is. Uh, You often see him you know, playing a pass into the nine and making a really good run in behind. He scores a ton of goals in transition and it's not hard to see why because he's quick and he just puts his head down and he absolutely motors. But everything that he does is geared around heading centrally towards the goal. Uh, and we've seen mostly with his right foot, but a few headed goals as well. He's okay with his left. He, he seems like a pretty solid finisher. I, I wouldn't have him in the Adam Armstrong pure gunman role uh, in terms of of the power and accuracy of his shooting. Um, But it's just so exciting. And there's part of me that just loves he was already there as well. You know, whenever someone like Armstrong leaves, you're always going to be concerned and you're always going to look to the transfer market to replace them. But the fact that they signed Brereton Diaz, I don't know the exact fee, but it was something like seven million quid, five to seven. It was relatively high, wasn't it? He was probably 19. Not much. Yeah, probably only 19 at the time. And as I said, he only started 11 games in the first two uh, league seasons for Rovers. So it's just a nice story of development skyrocketing over the summer, coinciding with an amazing story. You have to think that that time spent over in Chile in an insane environment when he didn't speak a single word of Spanish, you could imagine that being the most intimidating place to be for, for a month or so. And instead it's completely made him. Um, it's, it's just one of those beautiful footballing stories. And I have to say, I don't know for sure. I don't have a hugely clear picture of, of how many goals he ends up with this season. Right? So he's on 10 already in 11 games. Do I see him scoring 30? Probably more likely that he doesn't 25 plus. 50-50 at this point. That's only 15 goals away now. And if he starts every game, as as I would expect him to, as long as he's fit, you could see him getting towards that. Uh, I'm not sure he'll score at the same rate just because I still don't 100% understand how and why he is so good. Um, but maybe that's my own deficiencies as a as a football scout or analyst, whatever you want to call it. I also, if we're talking about Premier League in the future, I'm not 100% sure what his best fit is looking at Premier League clubs. Sometimes with a championship player, you have a pretty good idea of the sort of club where they'd go and, and fit right in. With Brereton Diaz, I'm not 100% sure about it. And that's okay. I'm just happy to be along for the ride. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's maybe it's Colo on the horizon. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe it's a it's a big move. A big move to play in the Libertadores for, for Ben <laughs> Brereton rather than a Premier League one. But I do think there's an element, not stylistically, because they're very different players stylistically. Um, but you see a, a goal-scoring winger who can also play through the middle who came from the championship and moved to the Premier League and is now starting to show his worth. And my mind immediately goes Jared Bowen, mm-hmm. um, who I know that you, you know, you and I spoke about years back, Ali, yeah. and we were both big fans of at the time when he was at Hull. 
and his move to West Ham and the fact that David Moyes likes playing a striker, a number nine, or a, who is in that kind of on-the-shoulder mould and can do the things, makes me think that maybe that is where I'd be looking mm-hmm. if I were if I were West Ham and I wanted someone who could play wide but also fill through the Mikhail Antonio role if, if you need to push someone into the centre. Makes me think that, that that's where Brereton Diaz might shine if he was to go to the Premier League. But that's just a yeah. thought that popped into my head as we were talking about wide players that could also play through the middle. Mate, I think that's spot on. I think that that works really well um, for a Premier League uh, projection, if you will. I think that would be the right sort of place for him to go. And and he is the sort of player, because I think he's very intelligent, because he has these physical skills and because his creativity, his, his chance creation numbers over the last 18 months have been very, very good. I do think that he's a sort of player where even though I'm bigging him up as, you know, XG monster this season, I think even if he's even if his goal scoring levels out a little bit, he's still the sort of guy you want in your team. He's going to bring a lot to the side. Very, very hard worker, very good out of possession, tracking fullbacks, etc. And that's the sort of thing that, that Premier League clubs will watch very closely as well. Absolutely. It might be time to move us on to the second name on this list, Ali. Yes, I will talk about Coventry City's Callum O'Hare. Now, Mm. Cov City are having an amazing season. I'm sure a lot of the listeners will have seen that uh, having avoided relegation last season with some comfort in the end, but not by that much. Uh, They've now really kicked on at the start of the season, helped by winning six out of six at home. Um, they're third as we record, only a couple of points off top spot and, and level on points with West Brom, who are in second. And they are a, a fascinating team on a number of levels. They, they bought a, a player called Victor Gyokeresh from Brighton uh, for a million quid over the summer, who was on loan first with Swansea and then with Cov last season in the Championship, barely scored a goal. And he has nine now already, uh, has just burst onto the scene in terms of Championship goal scoring. And he's in the Sweden squad for the upcoming international break. They've got a Replaced player called... Ibrahimovic, didn't he? <laughs> he did. What a, what a call. Amazing. Um, big shoes to fill. They've got a, a, a midfielder called Gustavo Harmer, who's absolutely box office. This little pocket rocket who sits deep, sprays crossfield passes, gets booked every game, um, <laughs> scores worldies, takes set pieces. He's class. And that was an amazing signing as well from, I think, Svola, somewhere, someone in the Eredivisie for maybe a million pounds. And Callum O'Hare is probably, uh, for me, the best of the lot and the most exciting of the lot um, projecting upwards. Now, he's, he's had quite an interesting trajectory because he was a, an Aston Villa youth team player, um, highly rated, as they often are. Uh, and unfortunately, because of his Villa connection, there's a very obvious comparison with Jack Grealish. He wears his socks low. He's got lovely hair like Jack. He plays in a similar, if not exactly the same position, and he has a lot of very similar skills to Grealish. But I'm trying to avoid that comparison for a number of reasons. It it sets a pretty unfair precedent for the kid because we don't expect everyone to go to Manchester City for £100 million. Uh, But also, I think Emi Buendia is probably a a more uh, valuable comparison just in terms of style of play uh, and where he operates in the pitch to, to Grealish. The thing I like most about O'Hare, which is the dream about covering the EFL, is when Villa didn't want to keep him, he actually, I think he went on loan to Carlisle uh, in the last few months of his Villa contract in League Two. Did half a season in League Two, did pretty well. Then he was on a free and Coventry picked him up. They were in League One at the time. And that season, which was cut short by COVID's uh, arrival on the world scene, uh, they won promotion. And O'Hare was not one of their key players, but he was involved. He, He was sort of 
growing into his Coventry career. And then last season, they're in the championship, having won two promotions in three years. And O'Hare just blossoms. So he's gone Premier League Academy, not getting a look in, League Two, League One, Championship, and now he's a star of the league. And that's what I love. That Just watching that progression, you know, month to month is, is fascinating. So O'Hare is a, a number 10 and quite specifically plays in a number 10 role. He hasn't, as far as I can think of, really played much out wide, left or right, um, which could be an issue projecting up to the Premier League because I guess there aren't a huge amount of uh, of slots, of number 10 mm. slots open in the Premier League these days. to Hamas Rodriguez, he's bemoaning the lack of number 10s <laughs> nowadays, my friend. Callum's <laughs> right. in big trouble. If Hamas <laughs> can't get a job, then Callum can't. <laughs> So there's a few things to get through with O'Hare. The first thing is he's a small guy. He must be probably 5'7", a low centre of gravity, fast, you know, quick off the mark, great ball carrier, very hard to win the ball off. I'd be astonished, and I should have checked this before we started, I'd be astonished if he's not the most fouled player in the championship this season. Every time I watch him, he seems to get booted up in the air, teams targeting him. I think against Barnsley earlier in the season, and I'm not joking, six Barnsley players were fat, were booked for fouling O'Hare alone. <laughs> so he's that kind of player. And I guess that makes Grealish a, a half-decent comparison. Um, but where I think Wendy is a little bit better is that O'Hare naturally drifts right, even though he's right-footed. He doesn't try and go left like Grealish does. He tends to drift a little further to the right, uh, where he carries the ball. He's very direct towards goal. He His creative numbers are good, not, not elite like Buendia. And I'm not saying he's as good as Buendia by any stretch, but he has good ball-carrying numbers, good creativity. The big issue for O'Hare at the moment is goals and assists to an extent, although his assist numbers are fine. The movement is there, he gets in good positions, and he can't finish. And it's a big issue for him right now. Um, 9.6 expected goals per Y Scout last season. He scored three. That's an underperformance of 6.6. This season, 2.7 XG, zero goals so far. So you get this picture of this guy who... He'd almost be better off if he never shot. He'd almost be better off always looking for, for one extra pass. Oh, because the Ozil. He, yeah, yeah, literally that. He gets in great positions and he's just it's not working for him. He's got so much to work on on that front. And you just feel like if he could improve even a tiny bit, things could change so much for him. The, the last thing to say about him, which really stands out, off the ball, he is insane. His pressing numbers, his tackling numbers... Um, winning the ball back in the final third. He did it against Fulham on the weekend. That was mostly Fulham's issue, but that just shows his mobility. He is a relentless presser, and that has to be a huge tick in the box when we're projecting upwards into the Premier League. He offers so much energy without the ball. He can be a little loose at times. He just flies around trying to win the ball back, but I'm sure under the right manager, that could be corralled into something quite special. And and we know that out-of-possession stuff for Premier League scouts is going to be so important, mm. just as much as you know, ball carrying, creativity, goal threat, etc. So, um, yeah, not as good as Grealish and Buendia, but a really interesting player who has only got better since he started playing senior football. Uh, and I'm really interested to know what happens next. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because when you say earlier on that he doesn't really play wide, he hasn't played wide in, in these scenarios, you then don't expect him to be a ferocious press, presser from that general, right? Mm. That, that's the kind of flip out. We expect these languid 
we expect these languid tens to, to come out and be like, oh no, they'll just stroll around. But you consider him, he is, like you say, a little dynamo in that in that hole. And he plays in quite a quite an interesting system. Obviously, Coventry sort of play that three, four, one, two, and he has yeah. the the freedom of the park to play in that one. Interestingly, I found out in March and it broke my heart a little bit that he's one generation out from being eligible to play for the Republic. Really? So he's not not eligible for Ireland unless ah. someone in his family. I think if his dad went and got a passport, he'd be all right. But his sister's a champion Normally, Irish if you dancer. Look, if you look hard enough, yeah. we can I mean, yeah, imagine a, a, a guy There's named O'Hare a, is not eligible for Ireland. Are you joking? No, well, this is it. His sister's a champion Irish dancer, and yet he's not eligible. I think what? that should make you eligible in itself. Um, you know, having a family member winning dancing competitions, but alas, yeah. um, it, it doesn't work like that apparently. Um, yes, I mean, look, Sam, a player that we've we've had a little bit of an eye on for a little while and he he, he is and he, he kind of he was a top scorer of Villa's Academy when he was younger if I'm not mistaken through the under 18s okay. so the, the the XG thing's a bit odd but there is definitely a player here I find it really funny that Ali is at pains to point out at almost every step as he goes this is not a Grealish comparison and then what he talks about every little next sentence is essentially <laughs> because remember what the big criticism of Jack Grealish in the championship, he doesn't score enough goals. He doesn't get enough assists. It wasn't actually yeah. that he was missing chances. It was that he actually wasn't getting into those positions to score. And for a long time, people just assumed that Grealish either wasn't as good as he, he was or was overrated <laughs> because he didn't put up numbers. And if you describe to me a relatively tenacious playmaker with low socks, floppy hair, good dribbling ability, but can't score or assist enough to match the talent. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but you've described Jack Grealish from three years ago. Uh, so <laughs> it's, fun- it's funny that Maybe. you're like, it's yeah. not Grealish, but it's not Grealish, but, but it, it's, uh, it can be in a way, but uh, yeah, I, guess, I mean, his, I guess his, you his... should, I, I guess there's probably a bit of a, a tax, if you will, of playing, you know, Coventry were a bottom half team last season. I think they only scored 48 goals in 46 games. So, playing for a better side, you know, mm. if he had played, let's say, 40 games for Norwich last season in the right-sided role that Buendia played where he was a 10, but he was nominally placed on the right of a 4-2-3-1, I'm sure his numbers would have been pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, oh, man, it's, it's, I, I appreciate you're not, you're not necessarily comparing him to it, but yeah, I, I just found it amusing that you were sort of <laughs> creaking along that path the entire way. With O'Hare, I think only being able to play one position is a negative. Uh, we are in an era where you're probably going to need to be able to play two or three uh, mm. or two or three different midfield roles. So that's the problem. But, you know, if he's these XG numbers, like that is horrendous, horrendous underperformance. There's no getting yeah. away from it. That is a really big gap. But you never know when it clicks for a player, just that element mm. of composure. And someone we've talked about a lot over the last three, four months who's really surprised us in a good way is Vinicius Junior at Real Madrid. He's just that it was always that element of composure away from just becoming an absolutely ridiculous footballer. And you never really know when it's going to happen. But when a player is that talented, it probably will. It it probably will. And at some point, I would imagine it just clicks for Callum O'Hare and he gets over that little yip. You know, he stops missing the field goal wide left. And actually, it turns out it it, it starts going in. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh my God, this guy's unbelievable. I do think, unlike. Brereton Diaz, Brereton Diaz. I've really got to pick one and just go for it because it's uh, it's upsetting me at the moment. <laughs> I, I think unlike what I said about BBD, O'Hare actually has has some quite good Premier League options, some quite good Premier League fits. And I know 
that, that we have that concern about him having had this beautiful number 10 role. I mean, there's no better position in football, is there, than the 10 role in a 3-4-1-2. You've got, no. you got two lads in front of you to feed the bullets to. You've got wing backs outside you to spray it out to. And you're going to get in good areas as well. I just think that's the dream position. But in terms of that pressing skill, you know, you're looking at teams like Brighton, like Southampton, like Leeds. These these teams, I think, could get a lot out of Callum O'Hare. And even if uh, the number 10 isn't necessarily a role that all of them would be after, I, I'm not saying for a moment that he couldn't adapt to, you know, playing on the right of a 4-2-3-1 or, or whatever it might be. He's certainly yeah. not an out-and-out winger. And I think he's always going to gravitate to coming inside. Um, but I think he's just a quality player. And, and I expect him to play in the Premier League. Um, I don't know how much to expect of him in the Premier League because the team that you join matters so much on that front. But you look at someone like Conor Gallagher out of possession, I would say O'Hare is quite similar to Gallagher. You know, Gallagher is everywhere. There was that article in The Athletic last week that suggests his true tackling percentage isn't actually that high, but the energy is good enough for something anyway. And O'Hare's definitely got that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right, let's move on to number three, Ali. Who's next? Yeah, this is the next... Premier League centre-back to come from the Championship for a team that has quite a lot of money because Stoke City tend to be able to ask for some decent fees, as we saw with the youngster Nathan Collins this summer who went to Burnley. I was surprised that Burnley didn't want Harry Souter, but I won't be surprised if they do want Harry Souter uh, <laughs> when, if or when uh, Mr. Tarkovsky decides to move on. Because uh, he I'm is pr- massive. <laughs> He'll have plenty of suitors though. Plenty yes, of suitors. lovely. Did you know that more than 50% of starting centre-backs in the Premier League have played in the Championship in the last like five or six years or more? Um, it's Of all of the positions, I would say that's the one that probably has the biggest uh, per capita of of former championship players. So that's just something wow. to chew on while we talk about this. Uh, he is six foot seven, and that is huge. He <laughs> has scored six he goals in six games for Australia, his international side. <laughs> and He's a they are some of the funniest <laughs> things you've ever seen because he gets on a plane, he flies 12 hours, they play in the uh, qualifying stages against a lot of very different sides in, Oce- in uh, do you call it Oceania? I, th- I feel like that's very old school FIFA terminology. I think it's Asia. Is it not the Asian? Because the way that, um, that it works means that Australia are in the Asian qualifiers rather than the Oceanic ones. Oceania's Absolutely. a nightclub in Bristol, Ali. Um, anyway Suter has scored six and six for Australia if you can find the goals watch them they are amazing and hilarious he also has a lot of headed chances in the championship unsurprisingly doesn't quite have the same goal scoring rate but you do feel like I mean Stoke are a big threat from set pieces you feel like if he ever played for a team like a team that were properly on it in terms of set plays, he could he could score a lot of goals. But that's not what we're here to talk about. And that's not the only thing that impresses about Harry Suter. He has very good defensive instincts. Unsurprisingly, he wins a lot of uh, physical aerial duels. Uh, but it, it's by no means that he is some sort of oil tanker that can't move around the pitch. Um, his mobility is pretty good. Uh, his covering defending is pretty good. His long passing is pretty good. Um, and those things all combined make him a, a pretty pretty sexy prospect, I think, for a Premier League club eventually. He's only 22. He's played quite a lot of football already uh, for a 22-year-old. And, and that's what I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of 
Premier League clubs do sign these centre-backs is that realistically in the Prem, you're never going to chuck in a 20, 21-year-old centre-back in the Championship as soon as you have 50, 70 games under your belt, 50, 70 games worth of data for the data analysts to get into and and for the scouts to watch. Um, that's normally enough for a Premier League team to pull the trigger. Uh, in terms of uh, the only thing I think that would put people off is that he's almost always played in a back three. Uh, I know there's quite a lot of those in the, the Prem at the moment. Uh, certainly a Wolves might be looking at him if that's what they're going to stick with. Um, to what extent that's an issue, I don't know, but I always think it's worth raising because playing in a back three versus playing in a back two uh, is very, very different. And whether it was on loan at Fleetwood, where he spent a year, possibly a year and a half, uh, and then the last season and a bit at Stoke, yeah, almost always in a three. His uh, story is madness. I mean, you mentioned the international goals. He scored two against, I think it was Chinese Taipei in maybe his second or third game for Australia. And it was like comedy viewing. Like it was like a giant had walked into the box and everyone else is looking up at him going, I'm not sure how we're going to defend this. And then he scores two goals in about 10 minutes from two corners. Mm. It's genuinely very, very funny. But I mean, also his story is mad. So he was born in Scotland. Um, his brother is Heart's John, legend. is the Hearts vice mm-hmm. captain and also has played for Scotland. His dad played for like Brecon uh, in the 1970s. He grew up in, he played for Brecon and he basically then went to Celtic, then joined Dundee. Rocked about a Ross County for a little bit and, you know, went off to off to Stoke. It's like one yeah. of the oddest stories. Played for Scotland's unders teams until 2019. His mum's Scottish. His, I know, his mum's Australian. Yeah. His dad's yeah. Scottish. And you're like, what's going on here? His brother mm-hmm. plays for Scotland. I, I really want to see the Suter Derby in Scotland <laughs> when Scotland draw Australia in a World Cup. Do you think he chose Australia just like because he knew that he would go and score a ton of goals in the World Cup qualifiers and stuff. He was just like... I would like, have. Let's like be Harry, Harry Suter is like, he's so big, he should be extinct, right? And he's going off and playing <laughs> and, and, and attacking corner, corner kicks against teams like Japan and China. Teams that do not traditionally produce big human beings anywhere near the size of Harry Suter. He's probably just like, I reckon I'm going to score 50 international... He's after Ronaldo's record, isn't he? That's the ultimate goal. <laughs> you do wonder. You you do wonder what he could get to. Um, the only drawback is, and Sam, I am a more of a Callum O'Hare shape and size than than you, who are more of a Harry Suter <laughs> size. But the uh, the long distance flights and the legroom, mm. that is one of the big drawbacks. International goals, lot of stiffness. That's, legroom. That's basically yeah. what he's weighing up there. Yeah. But um, we should point out that Scotland up front have someone with an Aussie accent, Lyndon Dykes who plays for them up top. It's and, like a swap deal. And Australia at the back have someone with a Scottish accent playing for them. So there you go. <laughs> It'd be one hell of a tussle when they come up against each other. Yeah, um, and they're both big guys. If they, if there ever is a game between Scotland and Australia and Dykes and Suter go up for a meaty aerial duel, that could actually be the end of the world. Everything... Well, I mean, we might we might get a sneak preview this year when QPR plays Stoke Alley. So, oh, yes. um, good point. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that one. <laughs> we'll keep an eye on that one. Um, yes, Harry Suter, I think, is very much destined for Premier League life one yeah. way or the other. Uh, in the same way that Dan Byrne was, um, but in mm. a slightly different, mm. slightly different capacity. Um, <laughs> right, let's move on to number two, shall we? Potentially the most intriguing, the the one who has the biggest range of potential options from this point in his career. Uh, and that is Luton Town striker Elijah Adebayo, mm. uh, Adebayo, who, Jack, you will know fairly well from being a yes. Fulham FC youth product. And 
I really wanted to talk about him because he's just a really interesting prospect at this stage. He is not quite as tall as Harry Suter, but he is six foot four. Not far off. He is six foot four. He is a striker. And he is, as far as we can tell, based on about three years now of first team football, uh, the first half of which was in League Two with Walsall, quite a poor Walsall side. uh, And now in the championship with Luton Town, a pretty good top half Luton Town side. He is what can be described as an XG monster. And the reason he signed for Luton from Walsall for about 150k, which is a pretty rare transfer uh, to to jump up League Two to champ as a striker uh, who hadn't scored loads of goals is pretty unusual. Mm. And we have a good friend, someone who is pretty well known on football Twitter, I think, uh, Jay Sosick, who is called Blades Analytic who is Luton Town's head of recruitment analysis. And perhaps with Jay at the helm, so to speak, or part of a team of recruitment or part of a recruitment team at Luton, perhaps the idea of signing an XG monster who's six foot four from League Two would have made a bit more sense than it would have done for a team in the championship with a, a more traditional scouting team, should we say. And Luton can't compete budget-wise yes. with other teams in the championship, so they have to be creative in their recruitment. And Adebayo has done pretty well since he joined uh, in January. He spent the second half of last season, his first few months at Luton, playing second fiddle to, to James Collins, who promptly left in the summer. Uh, and Adebayo is now number one striker. He's got five goals uh, in nine starts this season, two of them from the spot, so three uh, non-penalty goals. He continues to be a bit of an XG monster uh, because he has uh, seemingly a pretty rare quality at getting on the end of things in the box. Uh, Most of the chances that you'll see him have are in and around the six-yard box. I think he's got a lot of developing to do, and that's why he's the the sort of interesting prospect for me. Of all of these guys, he's probably... uh, Of all of these championship players, I should say, because we're about to talk about a League One player, he's probably at the lowest level currently but he's a player who could be anything and who we know because we know what Premier League scouts are into. We know that Premier League scouts will be watching very, very closely. And I absolutely think he will get a chance with a Premier League club in the next few seasons. One of the things I want to say about Adebayo... It's a bit bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, it is a bit bizarre. I think the, the one thing I want to say, and then I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I'm sure it's someone that you would have followed somewhat over the last few years. And I don't know what he was like uh, as a Fulham youngster, but... Adebayo will turn 24 uh, in January. So he's not super young, but in terms of mileage, he really is. He will have less than 100 career starts by the time he's 24. Spent a lot of time on FB ref earlier. I, re- I reckon he, will, he won't have made it to 9,000 senior minutes um, by the time he turns 24. And of his senior minutes, around 75% of them are at League Two level. So he hasn't played a ton of football above the fourth tier of English football. Compared to the guys that he should be trying to emulate, the Premier League strikers who have come up through the EFL, namely Ivan Toney, Ollie Watkins, Calvert-Lewin, Armstrong, Mopai, even Che Adams. Ivan Toney, at the same age, had 14,000 minutes, so 5,000 minutes more, mostly in League One. Watkins was about the same, 14,000 senior minutes, the majority in the championship. Calvert-Lewin is around 24. He's got only a f- only 2,000 more minutes, but mostly in the Premier League at an elite club with elite coaching and, and facilities. Armstrong is, is a freak, had played more minutes than anyone in world football his age, 18,000 by the time he was 24, twice as much as Adebayo and all League One Championship and above. 
Uh, Mopai, 16,000, and Che Adams, even though he came up initially through non-league, 14,000 by the time he was 24. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, if you if you think that a large part of a player's development comes from playing first-team football and that the level they play at, the higher they go, the more likely it is that they will improve as a player, Adebayo could be anything. It's a mad one, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> I suppose the the one you you, you, you want to know is... I mean, what did Jamie Vardy have at that age? And the answer is probably not that many, right? I don't think FB refs cover non-league, so I'm not well, sure I'm going to get thing. those. So there, yeah. is, there is an element. Now, obviously, not everybody is Jamie Vardy, and that story is a bit of a unicorn, and there is that element that you go, okay, not everyone is ever going to reach that level. But the thing with Adebayo is that I think for a while, if I'm not mistaken, at Fulham, they weren't sure if he was a striker or a centre-back. They really? spent a while looking at him at, at centre-back and he went out on various loans from, I mean, you were talking about a player who maybe was out on loan by the time by the time he was sort of 17 years old and he was out with Slough Town in the wow. Southern Premier South and then he was at Bognor Regis and then he was at Cheltenham. That was in League Two, then Swindon in League Two, then Stevenage in League Two and then Walsall. And none of them sort of procured that much. I think, he, I mean, he played, if I'm not mistaken, 20 odd starts for Swindon yeah. uh, when he was there in 2018-19. Um, didn't score that many goals. Again, very similar kind of story. And, and that first season at Walsall didn't procure many goals no. either, you know. 30 odd eight goals off of 30 appearances honestly mate if 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 data in football didn't exist if this was 10 years ago even or or possibly even five in efl terms because we're a little bit behind on that front if data in football and data scouting didn't exist adebayo would still be playing in league two he was a good player for walsall and he scored some goals but he was not troubling the top of the goal scoring charts there it was i and i and i'm not joking here it was his underlying numbers that suggest uh, in in the way that underlying numbers can do if you buy into them that there was something there that in terms of uh, and that's why i'm interested to say uh, to hear you say he played a lot of center back because he seems to have some sort of goal scorer's instinct that the xg numbers can can help to flag up just in terms of the chances players get on the end of where they are on the pitch where they are most specifically within the penalty box this is a guy who scores uh probably 20% of his goals with his head, but you feel like he could probably do better on that front. I guess yeah. that's another thing to say is that a lot of the guys I spoke about, Tony, um, Watkins, this this sort of, I don't want to say new mould of, of top-level striker because, you know, there's been different types of striker for generations, but I feel like they're almost like a hybrid of, a, of an old-school of the two old school strikers. These are guys now at the very top level Nine and a half. who are who can play a target man role of sorts, although you would never really call them that because their game isn't just having the ball pumped up to them and then flicking it on. But they can handle themselves physically. That's really important. The Premier League, much more so than the Championship, um, is about as much about physical qualities um, than, than probably anything else as the like first barrier to cross as a player. Uh, and that's why Adebayo through his sheer size uh, and and the potential for what he could be physically. That's why he would be so excited for a number of teams who want a focal point up front, but who also want someone who, yeah, you might go long to him as an out ball if you need to, but he's also, once he's laid it off, he's going to spin in behind and he might get on the end of a cross and he's going to focus on being between the posts in good areas. Um, he's got so much to work on. I don't want it to sound like this guy is ready to go right away and I want to see him play a full season for Luton. I wouldn't even expect him to score 
25 goals. Could he reach 20? Possibly. They're a good side, Luton. Maybe, Maybe, but not definitely. So I'm not saying this is on the agenda right now, but we know how quickly these guys can develop. And um, there will certainly be Premier League squad, uh, Premier League scouts who, regardless of how many goals he scores, will be very enamoured with what they see. I think there's an element of this that there were Premier League scouts who will look at the fact that Luton have picked him up on, despite the the kind of sheer lack of underlying, you know, or, or, or obvious numbers, mm. if you will, um, and go, hang on, what are they seeing that we're not? Mm. Uh, and that in itself will probably intrigue quite a lot of people. And that that's a, a kind of strange place to be in. Uh, I quite like him. He's... He's very kind of gangly mm. in in many ways. He's quite. He looks like he could often trip over his own feet. Mm. And, and and but then he's always appears to be there in the right position. He holds the ball up really well, mm. and he's an absolute handful. Yeah. And like even when he's around and in and about, he's not going to pick up assist numbers for dragging two players to the front post. Mm. But someone else might score off it. And he That's really is yeah. that kind of player who can be like a lot he's a lot to yeah. deal with because he's sort of all over the place he's relatively quick as you say he's big he's, he's relatively a lot strong. quicker than he looks he's he one looks. of those big guys who because his stride is three times longer than my stride it might look like i'm running faster than him but over 20 meters he will hit 20 meters while i'm still at 10 meters <laughs> he's yeah, that yeah. kind of guy i went i went to kenilworth road last week uh they beat coventry five nil and he gave Jake Clark Salter one of the toughest nights of his life. Literally three minutes into the game, there was a ball into the channel. Adebayo got there first. He kind of chopped inside, uh, got his body around the right side. It was only a matter of time before Clark Salter fouled him because he couldn't keep up with him or get in front of him. Won a penalty, which he scored. And that was the start of a, a torrid night for Clark Salter. So having seen him probably at his best... Uh, so far this season in the flesh. I was pretty excited. Um, that's not what we're getting every single week, uh, but more game time, as I say, because that's really what he's lacked compared to a lot of players. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, he could be he could be a lot in, in two years' time. It's, it's one of those where it could, like you say, it could go either way. Um, mm. We could be looking at a player here who is a capable championship striker, but no more than that. We could also be looking at someone who absolutely bounds into the Premier League and not sets the place on fire because I don't mm. think he's going to do that, but has an impact similar to that, as you say, of, of Ivan Tony was able to come through. He's obviously going to be a little bit later than that in, in where he where he develops. But there is, you know, this kind of thing that we're looking out for now. And I think a lot of people are looking out for going somewhere. There's a player here. And, and Sam and I talk about complete forwards quite a lot now. We talk about mm. these players who are able to hold the ball up, lay it off, sure, but also can spin in, get in behind, who are able to, to drift out to the wide areas and cause problems. You wouldn't want Adebayo out wide. Um, but on the whole, mm. as a number nine, he feels quite complete. Not necessarily in where he is, but in what you think he might have the ability to do in a little while. And and that intrigues me as a whole, I think. Mm. I think it's very, very exciting. And and I think that yourself and, and me and Sam and everyone listening, we're, we're going to have a very close eye on this guy from, from this moment on. Yes, indeed. Very much so. Right, let's go on to the final one, Ali. Another former Fulham kid, Jack. It's uh, it's Matt O'Reilly. Uh, he's playing in League One with MK Dons. Uh, I cover all three EFL leagues and I genuinely love them all equally. At the moment, I'd say League One is probably my favourite. It's an incredible division this year um, with some uh, amazing names, both in terms of teams who you'd expect to be higher up and teams you'd expect to be lower in the pyramid. All of them mixing really well and, and it's been a fascinating start to the season. It feels like there's about... 
eight title contenders, which is brilliant and, and probably not the, the case in the championship. Uh, and the one that keeps standing out for me is 20-year-old midfielder Matt O'Reilly for MK Dons. MK Dons are a lovely team to play for if you're a technical player because they average about 60% possession. In fact, in their last three games, they've been around the 75-80% mark, but that is because they've played against 10 men uh, twice in, in that period. Matt O'Reilly is their best player already, age 20, probably the best young player in League One, has only been playing senior men's football since January. And honestly, I don't know what happens with Matt O'Reilly from this moment onwards, but I'm very, very excited about it. Just to give the listeners a feel for the player, he he's quite a... I would say he's really tall. He, he's probably six foot, I reckon, maybe six one. So he looks... He, he he looks quite um, languid. He looks very stylish. He's very technical left footer. Um, I would say you'd want him to develop his right foot a little bit in order to, to you know, if he's going to move up levels where the game comes a little bit quicker, you do need to be a little bit more confident in your right foot. But in this MK Don side, he tends to have a lot of time on the ball. He is so good for this level that if someone does press him, he finds it very easy to just dart around them, uh, get his head up and play from there. He just oozes class at this level and for someone who you know we hadn't really seen play and you would have done more than we have in in development football but for Mm. someone who we hadn't seen play until January um the the amount that he's come on over the last nine months is is amazing he takes responsibility for most things that MK Dons do he picks the ball up off the center backs he's often found in the final third finishing off moves he's got two goals and two assists already this season from a midfield position that I would not describe as an attacking midfield position he plays in one of the two in a three, four, no. Yeah, in a three, four, one, two. So in front of him, he's got a 10 and two strikers plus attacking wingbacks. He is not one of the nominally attacking players in this side, but he impacts the game in the final third as well. He's just involved in, in all areas of the pitch. Um, he seems to be able to handle himself as well. I guess that would be the the thing that you think of immediately. You know, young guy, hasn't played much football, technical, number te- uh, technical midfield player, deep lying, can he mix it? Actually, the signs are pretty good on that front. Um, he's been getting pretty stuck in. Tackling numbers are good, especially for a team that doesn't have the, uh, that has the ball for the most of the, uh, of the time. So I, I don't really want to make a prediction for O'Reilly. I just want to flag him up as someone who has made astonishing strides over the last six to nine months and who I could see being very comfortable in the championship right now, which as a 20-year-old player of, of his profile is uh, is pretty exciting. And he's, he's, he's stepped up. I think he's won the armband three or four times as well this season for MK Don. So clearly, as a as a leader, there's something there as well. Um, it's uh, it's pretty exciting stuff. I, I think I think he, I don't know if it was agent led or player led, yeah. but I think he really pushed a move away from Fulham, not believing that he was going to have a pathway to the first team, which arguably was was correct. And I think that's that's quite an interesting wrinkle to this. It's a really strange one, right? Because, I mean, he's born in West London. He played for a team in Teddington as a kid, if I'm not mistaken. He was the player that I was most excited about coming through the Fulham ranks. I was so excited about Matt O'Reilly. I thought he was 
very, very special from having watched him at youth levels. And I was really excited. He got one appearance for Fulham. I was there when he came on against Reading. Um, we mm -hmm. lost 2-1 in a game where Charlie Adams scored twice. And I, I don't really want to talk about it. But um, <laughs> on the whole, like, he came on and he was really bright. He had the ball. He was... He must have been 18 at that point, right? And he was—he yeah. just looked very comfortable. He came, he came on and came off again, which is rare, but he came on on 11 minutes and then was subbed on 75. So it wasn't too weird for, for someone so young. Um, but he played for the under-21s in various games. He capped in the under-21s, which is why I'm not hugely surprised to see him take that armband um, at MK Dons. Now, I know that things are a bit funny there with, obviously... Um, the way that the manager left and, and mm -hmm. Liz Lewington had to, to step up into into that role. But it's, you know, someone that I think he was uh, so talented. He turned down a deal um, at Fulham. Yeah. I think they offered him a three-year deal, a first-team contract as a first-team player. Um, because at the time, there was a lot of rumoured interest from Dortmund. And they wow. kept coming out these weird things being like, Dortmund want Fulham's Matt O'Reilly. And what part of me wonders if his head got turned. Um, wow. By any of this, obviously, when it all came to light, Dortmund weren't interested in Matt O'Reilly. They <laughs> bought Jude Bellingham, and and on off they went. But um, it, it it did interest me as to how how it kind of played out. And then he spent six months basically just out of football. He didn't sign mm. a contract in, in in June 2020. He left the club as a free agent. And you know, we're talking in September, and I remember being like, I "Wonder where Matt O'Reilly ended up," and being like, "No one, nobody wow. came in for Matt O'Reilly." And then he came went to MK Dons. And we were like, okay, it's not quite Dortmund, do. is there, it? There must have been a contract dispute or issue there somewhere. Like, you, you can't, you, you just can't tell me that this player was was without a club for for normal reasons for six months. Like, that wouldn't it's, make any sense. It's a bit strange, yeah, unless, I, unless I think... he just had, as you say, unless he really thought that he could hold out for a Dortmund and then realized by January that he was better off playing some football. Yes, I, I do wonder if there was some some weird agency going on there. I know it's not unheard of, um, at, well, at the cottage and beyond, to be honest. I, I think it's probably quite rife within football in, in general. But I think he might have been subject to some bad decisions from, from people maybe around him or whatever. But I'm really glad to see him thriving again. Um, I think he really was a special talent. And I mean, we I think we'll be talking again, the player I see now at Fulham, Molly O'Neill, who's doing this, mm. making the same kind of strides, making the same kind of sounds yeah. coming through the academies. People are going, this kid might be special. Um, I think we might see Matt O'Reilly come back and and, and really start to, 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 to push onwards. And he's a really interesting mm. one because if I'm not mistaken, he's, he's eligible to represent Denmark, Norway, okay. England, and potentially Ireland as well. Wow. So okay. he's just like one of those one ones where I think there's family lineage on both sides. If I, pick, to... if I picked an O'Hare and an O'Reilly and neither of them are eligible for Ireland, I'd be pretty disappointed. Well, I think Ireland is the one that I'm not sure about, oh which is the gosh. funny one. He's definitely eligible for Denmark and Norway and England. He's played for England's youth levels. Um, he might not be eligible for Ireland, but to be perfectly honest with you, if he has the option to follow the Thomas Delaney path um, and, and go for Denmark <laughs> ahead of Ireland, I'd probably be doing that anyway. You know what the so, worst um, thing for you is, is that genuinely, I see that he's born in Hounslow. If there's one team in the Premier League who looks to be using some of their Premier League money to basically try and hoover up some, some EFL talent on the cheap, so to speak, and then try and develop them properly, is Brentford FC. I mean, they've been heavily mm. linked this week to Keen Lewis Potter, rumours that they put in a pretty, pretty significant bid in, in August. You know, they're the sort of club that, tend to get their man if they want it and they will know all about O'Reilly I've no doubt about that they'll be the sort of team who would happily you know he, he's playing for a league one club in MK Dons who 
will not be able to hold out for more than, I don't know, three, three million quid. No one goes from League One for more than about three million quid, apart from Tony, who, who probably went for five, six, seven. So, you know, at the upper, that's, that's at the, worked out. Yeah, at the upper end, you're talking five million quid, probably. And for the sort of player that he is, you know, you, you, you wouldn't be surprised to see someone like Brentford just go, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll lay that down. We'll give MK Dons what they want. We won't expect him to play for our first team for two years, but you best believe we're either going to develop him in-house or we're going to send him on some pretty good loans, maybe out to Denmark, who he can represent. Uh, he can go play for Midtjylland for a season and then he'll be a bees player. It that all adds up, that it? would hurt, wouldn't it? Oh, it would hurt. It would hurt me a lot. It would hurt me deep in my soul, Ali. But uh, I, I, you know, now you say it, it does all kind of quietly add up, doesn't it? It's uh, it's one of those I'm not going to think about too much, but I would be sad. Um, I would be very sad. But yes, I agree. A, a real talent. Um, I think if we see anything like the half the player that he was at youth level translate into senior football, we're 100% looking at a Premier League mm. footballer here. Um, now, obviously, that jump is far harder than, than most people expect. And you very rarely do see players who show half as much as what they showed at a youth level, yeah. at a senior level. But if considering how impressive he's been at 20 years old, as you say, in a, in a league which is... You know, technical, yes, but also combative that also, is, mm. you know, you need to mix it up to be able to to hold that down at, at 20 years old is incredibly impressive. And I think mm. the ceiling, as you say, is incredibly high for Matt O'Reilly. Yeah, some of his passing, particularly uh, through balls or balls just dropped in over the top of a defence onto an onrushing wing back or something like that. Um, they really do stand out. And I mean, there have been games this season where against 10 men with 83% possession, O'Reilly's had like 200 touches of the ball. Now, that is kind of cartoonish in a sense, but you have to yeah. think that it's going to be good for him um, and you have to think that it's going to be good for his development. So, yeah, he's in a really good spot at the moment. Uh, if he if he has very high ambitions, which it seems like maybe he does, um, I, I wouldn't say that the fact he's playing in League One now means that he couldn't play at the very top level previously. Guys have different paths, don't they? And, uh, and maybe this is O'Reilly's path to the top. Yeah, it's it's one that's been slightly windy, but I'd imagine that there's a few more twists and turns yeah. to come. Yeah, um, Ali, thank you so much. This has been so wonderful, and and we're gonna we'll come back and do a check in 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 some time to see how how these lot are getting on. Um, we know Mate, I'd first, love that the first crop have done well. The first crop <laughs> have done well, so uh, I think we might need to check in a little bit more regularly just to to check on how our how this crop are doing. But that might be a, a nice touch to just peep in after Christmas. That would be really fun. Uh, I love nothing more than joining you guys. And uh, as you can probably tell from the ramblings, uh, I really am very passionate about this stuff. And uh, and and young players in the EFL, uh, that's that's my thing. So get me on any time. I'd, I'd love to join you. Absolutely. Mate, if, do you want to just re reinforce the listeners where they can find you and, and yes. do your bits and bobs? The Not The Top 20 podcast is what you need to listen to if you have any interest in the EFL, which are the greatest leagues in the world. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at NTT20pod, but just listen to the podcast. Um, we released a, a very long breakdown of the weekend action, which we do every Monday. That was released uh, not too many hours ago. So if you're not bored of my voice already and you'd like to hear how I sound on, on my home patch, then give Not The Top 20 pod a go uh, and then... Athletic Football Tactics Pod will have one up in the next few days as well. So it'd be great to join. Uh, be great to get some more ears on that as well. Absolutely. Um, I, I can't recommend NTT20 enough. Uh, you know this. I'm a, <laughs> an EFL loyalist at heart, really. Every time Fulham go down, I get sad for relegation and happy that I can join <laughs> George and Ali again on, on Not The 20. So swings and roundabouts. Um, Ali, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure as always. 
Thank you, my friend. Cheers, guys. Well, thank you so much to Ali for joining us. It was so intriguing and I love this. And, and Sam, as I was saying, it'd be good to get Ali back in maybe January just for a quick update on how those dads are getting on. I think we can we can expand the franchise a little bit here in terms of uh, of how this works. We might have to start paying them, you know. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Right, it's time for my favourite part of the week. And I am throwing across the Atlantic to Mr. Dean Jones. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Jeremy. Now, Jeremy, I know you're thinking, whoa, what footballer's called Jeremy? Was it that old Chelsea player? No, this isn't a footballer. We set the precedent a couple of weeks back, didn't we, um, by choosing somebody as Melon of the Week who wasn't a footballer. And then there was Reese last week with his Melonish naps. And now Jeremy, who's a patron um, and on our Discord He's got in touch with us, um, and seeing as I'm not watching any football while I'm in America right now, um, I thought that this was quite fitting. This is what he said. I'd like to put myself forward for Melon of the Week. I've just come out of the emergency room for cutting my thumb with a knife while cutting a lemon. I usually cut lemons and potatoes while holding it with my right hand instead of how a normal person would do it on a cutting board which, by the way, was only a few inches away from me at the time. This is a great time to remind you that I'm currently in culinary school, meaning I should have literally known not to do this. Yeah, I still did. I now have three stitches and can't do anything with the amount of bandages wrapped around my thumb. So for the next two weeks, I'll be doing everything with one hand. And I'm more than happy to share the photo with you all if you don't believe me uh, about the stitches. Here is to my melanish behaviour. I literally can think of nothing football related that could match my dumb ass this week. And that's fair, Jeremy. You've, you've dug me out of a hole because obviously I haven't seen any football. I needed a melon of the week. And I found one, haven't I? There, dear, oh dear. You don't do things like that, mate. You don't do things like that. Very good. I like them when they're like that. I like that that kind of, you know, real idea of bringing people in and people really dialing into the melanish behavior that we see on and off the pitches every single week. Right, Sam. It's the gibberish alarm. It's the gibberish alarm. Okay, this one. Once again, this week, we're looking close to home. And this week, I'm going to talk about three things that Rach does that I find a bit mad, <laughs> but also they are incredibly logical and there's a, it's, it's, it's a confusing world and space. Are you sure you want to do this? Like you're getting married in a couple of months. This is not what I would publicly calling out my fiance it would not be the move I'd be going for at this point. No, the thing is these three things, they, they make perfect sense. They're just really annoying. <laughs> okay, let's do it. So number three, um, in this house, she has installed a culture of wiping down the shower with a squeegee blade after every single use. Yes. So it's like that thing that window cleaners have, right? And we have a little one in the shower. And after every use, you have to wipe down the walls and the glass and the shower blade as well. Uh, it, what it does essentially is just removes all of the water that would then obviously dry onto the surfaces. And seemingly, I'm told, this helps massively when it comes to actually cleaning the shower because there's less residue to clean off. So it takes mm-hmm. way less time. There's less line scale. But it's also a case of, you know, keep it drier as much as you can. There's less chance of mold setting in. 
all of this makes perfect sense. It's just the idea that after I've taken a shower, and bear in mind I run on an extremely limited time frame in the morning before we get up and go to the studio, I have to remember to grab this thing and wipe down all four walls of the shower. I absolutely hate it. And I'll be honest, I do I do conveniently forget to do it about 50% of the time. And I get you resent off. it. I get told off big time, but it does I, make it does I, make I, perfect I do sense. We've got we've 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 added this into our house as well for to have a have a squidgy blade. Um, I, we only have one glass wall. That's the only one that gets wiped down. Like yeah, the only one, one that we wipe down well. is the glass. We, we, I have to do all four. The tiles, oh, no, I have see, to do the tiles as well. See that? I think I'd be leaving out. I, I appreciate your um, I appreciate your your reluctance to do that a little bit more. I don't mind doing the glass one because I appreciate the fact that when you clean it, and I'm normally the one cleaning it, it actually saves myself time in the mm. long run. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be doing the tiles. The tiles can dry themselves. That's that's what tiles are for. Yeah, I might tell the tiles that you can dry yourselves. Yeah, exactly. Sort yourselves out. Come on. It's a disgrace. Step it's up. a disgrace. It's a right. disgrace. Number two, uh, we are only allowed to pour filtered water into the kettle. So I am not allowed to pour water from the tap straight into the kettle. That's not allowed, right? I have to pour, I have to fill up a Brita, Brita water filter, right? Wait for it to come and filter down into the bottom and then I pour the water from the filter into the kettle and I boil it and I make a drink that is the those are the rules now yeah no, that's ridiculous I mean so again the concept is yeah I, I massive, appreciate it lime scale massively yeah, yeah, helps on no. lime scale and yeah. I've been doing this for a, a couple of years now and I can confirm that it is a massive massive help and you look into the bottom of someone's kettle and it's absolutely gross isn't it there's a load of cack and like there's like those flakes of like opaque white stuff and it's all limescale it's all dirt it's all rubbish and um we don't really have that in our kettle because we pre-filter our water before we boil it and pour it in and then boil it but it is a bit mind-blowing and to get used to it i was like asking my friends like is this normal like is this is this a thing and they were like no that's not a thing. no it's definitely not a thing but again it does help the kettle lives longer it lives healthier as a result yeah, but you can like, so to, I appreciate the concept, right, of, of trying to remove live scale from a kettle. I do get it. One, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> and two, like you can just get a thing you put into the kettle once a month yeah. and it just cleans all the lime scale out and then you pour it away. And then that just does the job for you. And it takes the appro- like, approximately five minutes. I know, we, like, used, to, we it, used to do that. This is, this is a time... This is a time drain. Whereas the one before, I think, I appreciate the squidgy blade, you're saving time, right? I think this takes longer in the long run. Like you're you're losing more seconds than you're gaining yeah. by doing it. Um, and therefore, I actually, I'm going to have to say that this one is, is, is bad. The first one I can appreciate as good, although the tiles can do themselves. Um, but the, this one, I think I'm going to have to go with a no. It's going to be a flat no from me, I'm afraid. Bonus is, gives you some good time to think. Well, you just no, want, you I, just I wait want, for. I it want to... to think. I want to think over my cup of tea. <laughs> no, I don't want to think over while I'm waiting for the water to. Do, or even I'm thinking when the kettle's boiling. Do you know what I mean? Like we have got enough time to think over a cup of tea and the kettle boiling. Yeah, uh, it's a flat we, no, mate. I'm we afraid. Do. All right. Well, into number one then, and uh, this is a bit shocking, but Rachel has already done the Christmas booze shop, and she did it in September. Uh, yeah, I mean, to be fair to her, she's aware of the situation. She's aware of the fact that we're in. There's potential food shortages. There's potential drink shortages. There's haulage shortages. You know what? I respect this. Yeah. As long as as long as the tree isn't up, 
in October. No, 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 no. Trees should like go that. up till December. Nothing like that. Um, but apart from that, it's I just, don't mind getting the prep in. This is a case of just being super organised, ultimately. She saw a good deal on various alcoholic beverages on an online shop, um, and she pounced. And like, I've got a lot of respect for that. I mean, if I saw a good deal on booze, I would also immediately partake. The difference is I would drink it immediately, right? We have now, yeah. I'm, kid- I'm not kidding you, probably about 40 big, like almost two litre bottles of beer and 20 bottles of wine and litres of spirits in our house where I'm not allowed to drink. Like they're yes, stacked you have to put them out in the side. cupboard. Well, I know where they are. Mm. And I'm thinking about starting to siphon the beer off and replacing them with water and putting the caps back on. Yeah, I mean, I guess what would happen, what would, I'd, I'd struggle with is the idea of like, if I wanted a beer and there was no other beers in the house, right? then I'd have one and then I'd be like, well, I'll just get another one because I, this yeah. is fine. I'll replace it. Um, I've got three months. Yeah, that's, that's what I'd be thinking. But I appreciate that that is not necessarily the way that no people work. I think my man would do this, so I, I don't mind it. Like, I think it's like conceptually as an idea, it makes loads of sense. Yeah. Um, I don't like the idea of it being locked away. I think either it should be completely outside out of mind, like outside in like a cupboard outside somewhere where i would have no idea where it was almost like that i wouldn't even think about it mm. or like that you'd have to replace it occasionally when there was no other things in the house for you to drink yeah it, it's in a cupboard next to the fridge mm. it's tough That's dangerous it's, it's dangerous tough yeah times. it's really tough um i appreciate the logic she saw a good deal she pounced on it we're going to be we're going to be feeding a lot of mouths over christmas so why not save the money when you can um, absolutely but that logical a, very a, logical but it's a it's a little bit torturous and i would never yeah, do that I, to, I would say, never do that to myself yeah i mean look i can resist anything apart from temptation <laughs> so like, i feel like this is something that would probably drive me a little bit over the edge yeah it's difficult anyway oh so check in with check in in a week see how much is left yeah i want to know i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you mid-december how many bottles of these beers you've drank um and i'm gonna expect an honest answer so we'll we'll come back to this mm. we're we are this isn't finished this isn't over thank you sam that was very very good i enjoyed it a lot um and with that i think it's probably time to call this a day it's been a bit of a bumper episode we had a bit of an extended middle middle eight as you say with ali um and so that's really left me to do is say thank you very much to ali maxwell for joining us make sure you do check out not the top 20 it's absolutely brilliant and the best podcast in the world on all things efl um thank you very much mr sam ty cheers buddy i've been jack collins this has been ranks fc thank you so much for listening we appreciate you as always we'll see you next week gang for our final special guest of the dean jones on holiday in la era and very very excited about it so uh, our final special guest coming in hot next wednesday thank you so much for listening we'll see you soon take it easy peace